You know why you're on trial here? Right. Was until I saw that. Martin's dead. Bobby's dead. Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. Rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. This revolution, we may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Get on the street! Get on the street! When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Thank you for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. In this episode, we're thrilled to welcome cinematographer Faden Papamichael back to our podcast. His mark on the film industry is impressive. He's lensed a string of diverse films, from The Pursuit of Happiness, to Sideways, to Nebraska, to Ford vs. Ferrari. His latest project is receiving widespread acclaim across the critical community, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, the latest offering from writer and director Aaron Sorkin. Prior to the onslaught of the pandemic, Faden was visiting family in Greece, and he's remained there ever since. But he's managed to pass the time by sitting behind the director's chair on an upcoming thriller. Then I had all this time, all my projects and movies were getting canceled in the U.S., and then um, uh, I developed... A project and we financed it and now I'm directing and shooting uh, a, a thriller set on the Greek island uh, mm. but, uh, I'm halfway through I got two more weeks and and uh, then uh, yeah we'll see we'll see where I go from here you've uh, <laughs> you've directed uh, before uh, on a yeah, uh, on a couple of occasions so how, how does it feel yeah, to get yeah. back Actually, into that five times but it goes way back to like sketch artists with Drew Barrymore and mm. Sean Young, and then uh, I've done a movie in Greece before, like 12 years ago, with Nick Nolte, you know, mostly small festival runs, and I mean, the first one was a Showtime original, played on Showtime, they even made a sequel. (laughs) I love your work, and I spoke to you uh, several years ago for, I believe, I believe, uh, Nebraska. Yeah. But uh, but I'm a big big fan of your work, and I watched Trial of the Chicago Seven, and and I loved it. Uh, I'm wondering. Oh, that's good. I'm wondering when you were approached to do this. Uh, yeah. Did you have any knowledge of this period of events, or was a lot of research involved? Uh, I mean, I was aware of it. Uh, actually, mostly through uh, Haskell Wexler's film Medium Cool. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, we ended up using um, a bit of his footage in the film. Uh, the editor, Alan Baumgarten, like combed through all the available footage from the demonstration and the park, and uh, and you know, a lot of it was actually footage that Haskell had shot on 16 millimeter uh, in color, and uh, we put it in the film as little black and white intercut with our footage when we recreated the 
the riot and um it was great because we actually got to shoot in the actual location we shot in uh grand park and we had the hill with a statue and you know uh, seeing having all this footage available to us you know helped us dial in like the amount of tear gas and of course we only had 200 extras and there were 10,000 <laughs> demonstrators <laughs> in the park uh, um but you know because of Aaron's writing and then being so uh all only these vignettes when you leave a courtroom and it's literally often like three seconds five seconds where we cut to the the park you know it um uh you know it helped uh not making a movie about the riots but they're really just these vignettes that play yeah uh, when you leave a courtroom that uh you know it helped us i i, I send my two camera operators handheld in the crowd we had and put a bunch of tear gas and say i said to them just make a documentary about this so you know because we wanted the energy of the, those riot scenes to kind of contrast you know the courtroom which is much more composed and static and uh you know it's a lot of talking heads of course yeah uh, you know you've got eight defendants and the judge and the jury and the persecutor and uh you know so i i contrasted the shooting style of a park with that of a courtroom um and it works it works beautifully but but when you when you're when you're filming um a scene like those riots uh you know you're dealing with a couple of hundred people like you just said uh, yeah are are you are you communicating with your cameraman by headset go here go there yeah i do that yeah okay i use uh these this hme system it's it's uh uh, voice activated headsets and I, you know, I'm mostly to t- make sure they're not shooting the same thing. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, we, we kind of roughly, I mean, it's not shot listed or storyboarded at that point. I mean, it's really just go shoot it. And, um, but you know, you do want to make sure they don't end up with, you know, accidentally covering the same shot or getting into each other's shots. So there's a bit of a, you know, almost like a, a TV director is like, you know, go get that girl that with a flag, you know, and then you you get the the cop who's beating this guy on the head. So you know, it's but the the very short pieces and and Aaron's writing is so specific, he really just doesn't care to cover too much except exactly what he needs for his writing because it's all about the rhythm of the language and you mm-hmm. know he knows exactly that he's only going to go to that shot for three or five seconds. And, you know, so you don't really have to overproduce it. Um, I mean, if there was a normal movie, a normal meaning like a big movie about the riots, we'd have, you know, many more extras. We'd have, you know, some wide sweeping shots showing the whole scale of things. But um, uh, in this case, you know, we knew he only, like taking the bridges when they cross the bridges, I mean, that's a pretty big setup. We got all the daily dozers, you know, those Jeeps with the barbed wire and mm. the tanks and the cops and the um, the soldiers. And But, you know, really all he wants is like, I need an insert of the bottle hitting the ground. And then I need a shot where Dave is like trying to stop the crowd because right. he knows exactly how it's going to uh, intercut, you know, with when he leaves a witness and the stand and you know it's gonna just use literally just use like three seconds so it's 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 kind of would just 
be counterproductive to to shoot or cover more than just the moments that he needs for the story. So sure, that that was helpful. You know, that always that always fascinates me the the dynamic of putting those scenes together because a, a film set is obviously. Uh, as controlled an environment as you can manage, and yet what you're trying to capture is chaos. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. controlled chaos. But sometimes, you know, you don't want to design it, and it'll seem too stagey and mechanically worked out. So you, you, you'd you look for all these happy accidents, and, you know, in order to get those, you have to be um, just reactive and intuitive and instinctive and... And, you know, you, you, you create, you set it up. Um, I mean, you set the situation, then you kind of just go for it. And, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the way to do that. Right? And run to, as you've mentioned, running counter to that is this uh, this courtroom drama. I mean, much, much of the time, that, that's, that's where you're shooting is in this courtroom setting, and you're dealing with a number of, of characters. What are the specific yeah. challenges of of that kind of set work? Well, it's always, you know, as a visual storyteller, you're always concerned about having to do 60% of the movie in a courtroom setting because, you know, the blocking is not that uh, challenging. I mean, everyone's sitting in the same seats in every scene, you know, sure, the counselor, you know, the the uh, attorney of defense is, you know, he takes the floors and does the prosecutor, but, you know, they basically just have a little arena to pace back and forth. And I mean, the blocking is pretty set. Um, plus our other challenge was we build this courtroom in a, uh, in a schoolhouse, uh, but we treated it like a stage, but it was actually bigger than the original, uh, courtroom. Also had these windows, which the original courtroom didn't have. Um, you know, the the trial goes over a six month period, and so I wanted to show passage of time. Like I don't, I didn't want to have the same mood every time we're in there. You know, like playing mm-hmm. the obvious like beams through the windows, and uh, people did smoke back then in court, so I did put atmosphere, which I normally don't do. But you know, I wanted, so I signed. I made a whole breakdown of what scenes, you know, should play in, in sunny light, like the opening day, day one of the trial, because there's still some optimism in our defendants. And, you know, even one character goes, this is like the Academy Awards <laughs> trials, you know, and I'm mm. just happy to be nominated. So I played that <laughs> sunny and then same, I played the last day, the the verdict day, also sunny because, you know, Tom Hayden stands up and starts reading all the names and, they're wearing the white prison outfits at that point, and I wanted him to sort of glow in this white, uh, angelic, heroic sunbeam. Mm. Um, but, you know, there were other scenes, for example, when Sasha Baron Cohen, when Avi Hoffman gives his, um, uh, when he takes this uh, uh, seat, you know, and he goes, like, sorry, man, just give me, give me a second. I've never been on trial for my thoughts before uh you know i played that moodier like moody overcast day so i wanted to show that there's a lot of passage of time because the script is very non-linear as you know and sometimes you know you have somebody in the stand like a cop uh, for literally one line then you go away for some uh vignettes whether the flashbacks then you come back you're not even back to the same cop you're to another cop who's actually 
also like the trial going back and forth is not even linear so the whole script is very fragmented that way and mm. it's very important you know to to have the shots play at the right length that's why Aaron really doesn't want a lot of extra coverage um because he just very specifically he just basically wants to just see the person who's talking yeah now me as a cinematographer and coming from you know a lot of work with James Mangold and you know we shoot a lot of reactions a lot of and just so and you know, also talking to Alan Baumgarten the editor who had also cut Molly's game he's like please you know give me other shots give me you know reaction shots give me the jury give me the judge and um you know and Aaron was like really we need that I don't really need that and you know <laughs> so I didn't want to force him into a lot of shots I mean I like people who have very specific concept of what they need but uh you know i also know that you know telling it visually and uh it's not like an audio play so i mean we you know it's valuable to have uh, in the courtroom so i always try to rake people like when i do a close-up i'm never really frontal i'm trying to include you know i shoot the close-ups with slightly wider lensing and that still doesn't isolate them and show the people next to them and mm. you know, like little profiles, little slider moves, little rotations, just to keep them connected to where they are. Although they're basically always sitting in the same places. So that, that was the challenge for the courtroom. Yeah. And also I wanted it more composed and more classic. Um, so it, it contrasts to the energy when we do leave and, uh, you know, where we go to the conspiracy office or we go to, the, uh, of course, the riots and on the streets and mm. taking the bridges and all that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge, um, uh, especially with Aaron because, you know, he'll be the first one to admit it. Like, you know, he relies very heavily uh, on the cinematographer and on the editor and um, he sees uh, his script really like it's for him it exists on page and normally you know i would say well you know script a movie gets made in three stages in the writing process during the shooting and then during editing in his case i would say the movie gets made when he writes it and then it's all about getting it as close as possible to mm. that you know, yeah it's, he, it's, it's not there's not a lot of room for um you know, the discovering or improvising. I mean, if, and, you know, have a cast that, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is a writer, producer, director, actor. Uh, he, uh, you know, I mean, you know, his work is, is all about like finding things, improvising. Same with Jeremy Strong. I mean, he's, you know, method actor. Then you got two British trained actors, Eddie Redman and Mark Rylance. And Mark Rylance also theater director. So very different styles of working, a big ensemble cast, and Aaron, who really only wants to shoot exactly what's on page, um, and him not being so involved in camera setups as I'm used to, you know, where I have uh, James Mangold, who's also still photographer, uh, involved in, you know, the design, the shots, the movement. I mean, it was all left up to me, and then I'm also pretty much dictating what the coverage should be and um, giving a, a list of all the shots to the script supervisor every morning and really being 
you know, primarily concerned about getting what Aaron really needs, but then also giving him options and giving him extra mm-hmm. coverage, which he didn't always feel like he needed. But when I think, you know, it was much appreciated in, in the, the editing, in the know. editing. And, um, yeah, with, ultimately, you know, with, he was very happy with it. With Sorkin, uh, it's all about the language. It's uh, all about the rhythm of the language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 you as a cinematographer, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, you, you you want to make it as cinematic and dynamic as possible. Well, of course. But also, but you, don't uh, also you want you to also give. Don't want to hijack the movie. And, right. And, right. <clears throat> you know, which I think on Molly's game, he didn't fully. I mean, that was his first experience directing, and he didn't fully understand or. You know what what's involved and you know what you need to do when you shoot and i think you know there were some moments where you know he was not happy just because um you know things happened that he didn't feel were necessary and and so i was very respectful of that because Stuart Besser, the producer who who i'd done 310 to human with and identity he did molly's game and he gave me a heads up and he said look he's going to rely very heavily on you but he also knows what he wants and you know so i was very respectful of not you know imposing things on him that right. he wouldn't be comfortable with but you know i mean you have a director that sits at the monitor mostly with his eyes closed because he's really focused in on the rhythm of how the actors read it and if they say it right he goes, great, got it, move on. And, you know, there are other factors, of course, when you're actually filming. I go, well, here the camera, you know, mm. st- stalled or here, you know, a light fell over and hit the actor in the head and his hair caught on fire. I mean, just joking, but like, and he would go, so does that mean we have to go again? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know. So you don't have him really scrutinizing the frame and the image per se. So, uh, you know, you have extra responsibility to make sure, you know. Well, this um, you mentioned this earlier, but this is an extraordinary cast. Uh, I mean, I was yeah. watching it, and and seventy five percent into it, Michael Keaton pops up, but I'm like, could this get any better? Uh, I know, right? And he was great. Like he came in for two days. We had him one day in his house, and we only had him for one day in the court, of course. And yeah, it was great. It has to be exhilarating for you to see these performances take shape from yeah. a cast like this. To me, that's always the greatest inspiration is, um, you know, seeing the actual performance in the actual space. I don't like to preconceive too much and decide on coverage and lighting and till I actually have all the elements in front of me and see how somebody's body language is, see how somebody's, you know, his speech and his rhythm and, and that dictates to me also how it should be lit how it should be composed i mean same with nebraska you know and like seeing booster and how is he moving now oh he's playing this and you know you, we need a wide shot for this we really don't need a close-up we need you know so it's it's nice to draw your inspiration from these uh, great performers and i mean walker line being probably mm. the most obvious example i mean joaquin phoenix in general like you never really know what he's gonna do and it's pointless to sit there and storyboard and shot list something because suddenly he'll get up and he'll rip the sink out of the wall and which was not planned and it's actually been in that school building since 1950 and uh, you know that's a one <laughs> one take deal um but you know you gotta i think that's the beauty of 
uh, our job is to capture these little moments, these gems that the performers give you, and you just got to be there with the camera at the right place at the right time and mm. and uh, take advantage of all that. And that's why that's why I admire directors who can do that and uh, prefer working under that system rather than, you know, and I, I'm not putting them down. I mean, I'm the incredible craftsmen and filmmakers, but like Chris Nolan or Fincher, or even Gore Vabinsky, who I did two movies with, they are, you know, it's, I look at the films and I go, that's great craftsmanship. It's yeah. great filmmaking. But sometimes I'm not emotionally involved with the characters as much as I would like to be. Right. At, are, do you find that actors are, in general, invested in, are, all right, how are, you, how are you filming me, the distances, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, they are. They are. But, you know, in our case here, because of the mixed group, um, less so because some are fear actors. I mean, of course, Mark Rylance has been in, you know, he was in Bridge of Spies and all that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, so it's more about, like, their space, their stage, how they move, not so conscious of the camera. Um, um Compared to, let's say, somebody like George Clooney, who I work with as an actor and a director, but, you know, who's completely aware of what the camera does when he sees us discussing something. He goes, you want me to do this? I can help like this. And mm. what are you? Are you on a 40 mil? Okay, so so it cuts me off right here, right? And uh, what am I, too tall? I can spread my legs a little bit. And, you know, just that kind of, like, real movie actor professionalism. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't really have in this cast because Matt Damon and Christian Bale. I mean, they're real movie actors. I mean, they're movie stars, and and they know all this. And Dustin Hoffman, when I worked with him, he was always like, "What millimeter are you on?" Mm. So you're here, right? So they adjust their performance to that. And you know, they know Russell Crowe in Three Ten to Yuma when you see that last close-up when he's with Christian Bale in the room before they go out for the train. I mean, it's like so minimal. His performance, his gestures, but he knows he's like going to be 70 feet wide on the big screen. And, and then when you see it cut together and on the screen, you go, wow, there it is. It's like so subtle, but it's mm. just the right amount. It's beautiful. I mean, uh, uh, you know, all the all the art forms in the film, uh, in, in films, they're a mixture of the technical and the, and the purely emotional. Yeah. yeah. Right. But without the emotional, you got nothing. I mean, you know, some of the most beautiful movies, I mean, I don't know, like Snow Falling on Cedars is probably one of the most beautifully photographed movies. But, you know, if you're not connecting uh, the same degree to the story and the characters, then it's just pretty to look at and ultimately yeah. boring. I mean, to me, it's always like... I know the movie is not working when after screening somebody comes up to me and goes, that, that just looked beautiful. Your move, your work was stunning. And then I know, shit, the movie didn't work. <laughs> you know, oh my God, I mean, you know, Joaquin was incredible or Bruce Dern. It's like, it's such a great movie. And I laughed and it reminded me of my uncle back in Nebraska and, you know, it's that, so it's so it's so odd that you mentioned Snow Falling on Cedars because I I asked <laughs> I asked Richardson about that and he said yeah. he attended some screening of it and he just hated it he he hated looking Whoa. at it as beautiful as it was 
It is so beautiful. I mean, I remember it was nominated for the AC, and then, you know, I saw it in the opening shot. It's a boat out, and it's in the fog, and I go, oh, my God, this is like, you know, it just doesn't hook you. Right. And, you know, um, Ethan Hawke or whatever it is, you know, whatever element it was, like, if you don't get hooked, then, I mean, you can only look at, you know, a pretty photo book of Maine, you know, it might, might as well be a, fo- you know. a postcard or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, talking about actors, I mean, the one director who was so intimately, intensely uh, involved with actors was uh, Cassavetes. And your father, of course, as an art yeah. director, he worked quite often with Cassavetes. Yeah. I mean, I know John. I mean, they were cousins that my dad did faces and women and influence me, Moscovich, Love Streams. And, you know, that was my. You know, my first exposure, really, to when I moved to America in 83, I mean, John was very sick with liver cirrhosis, but I got to spend a lot of time at the house, and we were always talking movies, and I had come from Europe, and I was a fan of Antonioni, and, which is very different, you know, it's all very visual, and, and uh, you know, without a lot of words, and John's all about, you know, the camera is the slave to the performance and you know he would jump on the dolly and start pushing around and nobody knew what he's doing and everyone you know actors could kind of you know be free mm-hmm. the freedom to be free as he said and um you know so uh yeah that was a, a big inspiration but on the other hand like he didn't understand like photography or cinematic language how he can also augment and contribute to performances because he actually i remember him asking me and i was like 24 he said so i don't understand like beautiful photography what do you do like i cut to a sunset and then i cut back to my actor like how does that work (laughs) wow that's great that's great you know i and i know as a as a actually i want to ask you this too about cassavetes did you did you use a camera that he filmed? Yeah, I faces, sure did. Or? I mean, my very first. So I came from Europe. I mean, I grew up in Munich and I studied fine arts. And then uh, I'd seen like, you know, I got into cinema like 18. Like I noticed I wrote down Raul Kutar's name. I go, I want to do that. Whatever this is, whatever that position is, like cinematographer because it's like my still photography mm-hmm. but also there's movement and there's performances and there was Brigitte Bardot and I was really into her and <laughs> Michelle Piccoli and Jack Palance and Fritz Lang and I'm like I want to do that so uh, and I had sent some stills of mine to John and he wrote me this letter which really triggered me to actually move to America because you know you're your images capture the spirit of a new generation in a classic form. Mm. Mm. <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever. To me, it meant a lot, though. And he's like, can't wait for you to join us. So I came and then, but they were in post on Love Streams and we were in New York. And then I met Liz Gazara, Ben Gazara's daughter. And she goes, I want to do this short and you should shoot it. And I'm like, I've never shot anything before. And she's like, oh, you know, whatever. It's the same. It's still, I mean, you got to set the stop and, you know, composed. I'm like, sure, okay. So uh, then we found John's camera, the Eclair NPR 16 millimeter that uh, was in the closet uh, back in LA on Woodrow Wilson, where his house is. And uh, uh, of course, he lent it to us. And um, I'd look, you know, there was a 
two-page manual. <laughs> like I'd learned how to thread it and how to load the mags, and then I taught my camera assistant, per se, of course, wasn't the camera assistant. Like, I guess this is how you got to adjust focus because in stills, of course, you know, well, there's no moving focus. I'm like, maybe if you mark the ground and then mark the lens and then coordinate. <laughs> I remember coming up with that system on my own. <clears throat> but, yeah, it was John's camera that he had shot faces with. Mm. Yeah. For a movie fan, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a movie fanatic. I mean, that yeah, there's something of kind of romantic <laughs> about that notion of I'm shooting with Cassavetti's camera. I mean, I geek out about that. No, kind of, of stuff. course, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you do not like to storyboard, uh, which, which, well, you know, look, I mean, when we do something like Ford versus Ferrari, we storyboard, we previs certain sequences. You can't really make a movie like that because you can't even budget it really, mm -hmm. unless you know exactly, you know, how many cars you have to <laughs> flip over. <laughs> um, but for, you know, more uh, traditional dramatic stories like with Alexander, like Sideways and Descendants and Nebraska. And mm -hmm. We we don't. I mean, we watch movies, we watch De Sica, we watch Kurosawa, we watch Ozu. We not always related to what we're doing. Uh, just movies we like. I like uh, I showed him Walkabout. I think for. I don't even know which one, but it's just like, oh, here you see, I like how they did this, and I like how the pacing is here. And so that's really the extent of our prep is like cooking, pasta, watching a movie. He'll show me like half hour of something, or we'll watch your last detail, and then I'll say, let's watch, you know, walkabout, and and but it's not like specifically about what we want to do. Mm. And then, you know, you just get a sense of who that person is, what his aesthetics are, how he likes to, uh, to take in stories and how he likes to tell stories. And then, you know, as a cinematographer, your job is to interpret that and get the closest to what the director wants to achieve and then give that to him, you know. Yeah. And that's why I don't like to dominate really with – I don't like people saying, oh, I saw this movie. It looks like Faden shot it. Like my move, my work. Hopefully, I think really varies. I mean, obviously, Cool Runnings looks very different from Phenomenon, from Patch Adams, from mm -hmm. Nebraska, from Weatherman, from Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, they're all very different. And I do admire cinematographers that are versatile and don't like bully their look onto a movie. And, you know, where it might work with some movies, like Storaro with Bettolucci, of course, did beautiful work, but. You know, sometimes you just go, okay, like on this Woody Allen movie, it's just like he's just overpowering, you know, with his golden beams yeah. and <laughs> rim lights. And, you know, it's just, I, I, you know, that's why I like Chivo's work because, you know, you can do, uh, 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 you know, gravity and then you can do Itu Mama Tambien, you know, I mean, so... Uh, yeah, so I, I would think that I mean you ha you have worked with Mr. Payne on several occasions, yeah. but I would think that working with a, a wide palette palette of directors pushes you to 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 uh, of course accustom to me, yourself the, to what they want. The yeah. beauty of it, you know, and I feel kind of bad for my friends. Like I mean, Janusz 
has to do all, I mean, has, you know, I mean, he's fortunate enough to do all of Steven's movies, but, uh, you know, he always goes, oh, you're so lucky you get to work with all these different directors, and, you know, and he gets some opportunities. I mean, he got to try something completely different, um, Diving Bell and Butterfly, but, but, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really what refreshes me and keeps me engaged and my profession is like different in the air and being so different from mm -hmm. anyone else. And especially in contrast to Mangold, who is very involved technically and, you know, is involved in the color correction. I mean, Aaron didn't sit in on the DI and, you know, but he likes it. Like what we do, he goes, that's great. You guys made it. Like, I didn't realize you can make it even so much nicer still. And, yeah. uh, you know, whereas Mango is like, you know, two more <laughs> points of red and <laughs> right. one point of cyan, you know, and uh, saturation up 3% and, you know, and sitting in on the mix and everything, you know. So, but that's the beauty of it, that, you know, we, we get to adjust and, you know, serve these directors, help them try and tell their story, like whether it's a very technical director. I, I mean, as long as the director knows what he wants and has a vision, I mean, our biggest nightmare is just somebody who just doesn't really know what he wants or even has like a little technical knowledge. That's like the worst. And, <laughs> just enough and to do to, danger you know, with. Walk yeah. around with a finder and look for a shot for like a really long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but doesn't really know where he wants to be. I mean, I prefer somebody like Aaron who knows exactly what he wants, has no idea how to achieve it, but he'll be the first one to say it. He's like, you know, this is, this is, I need this, I need that, the insert of the bottle hitting the ground, you know, but, but, you know, it doesn't. He trusts you uh, to do you know, your job. And, and yeah. yeah. And then he's not like here going a hi hat, you know, to shoot it at 48 frames. He's just like, I really just an important beat, you know, for a story like, you know, I need to see a guy getting hit in the head with a baton and blood coming out because there's a line, you know, let the blood flow all across the city. And, you know, so it's all connected to the writing. But, you know, uh, it's it's fun for me to, 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 to find that. And even, you know, uh, like Vin Benders, I did Million, million Dollar Hotel. And, mm. you know, I grew up watching Robbie Miller and Vin Benders work and, and um uh, you know, we communicated very little actually when we did a million dollar hotel, but I knew like it's right exactly where he wants it to be. Right. And it's just, you know, my aesthetics and his and Robbie's. I mean, it was so influential to me that I knew, you know, and it looks like a Vendors movie. And when I do a little European movie for some obscure European director, it looks like the other work because that's my main uh, goal is to, uh, you know, tell their story and, and have it be have it be theirs yeah. yeah i know the the need to uh to really know what you're going after before you start shooting a film one of one reason of which is budget like you said but mm -hmm. a lot of movies feel like they are preconceived within an inch of their lives yeah. and i like watching movies that feel like they're happening in the moment and i right. I, I heard one director say when you make a narrative film, it should it should feel like a documentary of the day you right. were shooting that. Right. I, I love that sentiment. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you watch Sideways, and it's very precisely scripted. Uh, 
but you know, when it comes to life and you got Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church and their chemistry and the dialogue just seems so not written, but it's very, I mean, Thomas Hayden Church once said during the shoot, you know, if I say this instead of that, and Alexander was like, let me see. And he thought about it for like a minute and a half. He goes, no, let's stick with the screenplay. And, you know, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just in his head. He thought about that word for a long time. And when he wrote it, and there's a reason he chose that particular word versus this one. And, but, you know, good writing is, it just makes it feel not written. And, right. and then good performances, of course, you know. I mean, a good performer, a great actor. I mean, uh, John Goodman, we were having in Monuments Man, which, but you know, John could just make, or Bill Murray could just make every line work. You know? yeah. And now I'm working on this thing, and it's a thriller, and it's a genre movie, but I got great characters, and I'm working with one of the greatest actors in Greece, um, Makis Papadimitriou, and, uh, uh, and, I mean, the way he just makes these scenes work, you go, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's a whole other level of talent to, yeah. to to pull pull these off. And then, of course, you know, that then warrants a different shot than what you had planned because it's like, okay, you're going to give me that. I'm going to take it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put my camera here instead of back here where I was planning on putting it. So, you know, that's why I think it's important to you know have an open mind and, and and be astute and aware and 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 always be on the lookout for those things and not miss not miss these little gifts that they give you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well Faden, my friend i uh i love <laughs> i love the movies you work on and thank uh, you uh, stay safe well hopefully we'll get to do some more and it's i'm not all gonna i still want to shoot for the big screen and i'm you know, in this case, I think it's probably a good thing that Netflix took this over. And I mean, like, as we say, tragically, it couldn't be more timely right now. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, it feels. It but feels... I think because of Netflix and people being more likely to watch at home, I mean, it's probably going to reach more people this way. So I, maybe it's a good thing. But I just hope for our future and for all filmmakers, you know, I have my, my, my desire is still to shoot for the big screen and get people back into the cinemas at some point. Yeah. Are you, are you hopeful that that, that day is on the horizon? <laughs> I know I'm not, I, I can't, I mean, I had this whole other, what's the journalist, Joe, Joe Morgan from wall street, um, uh -huh. Morgan, Morganstein. He did a whole article about that. He was interviewing me and it's like, is this the end of cinema, you know, theatrical viewing and, because, you know, people upgraded their home systems, they got better TVs, they got better sound systems, and, you know, I think they'll go out for certain spectacle movies. And um, But, you know, will these kind of movies ever successfully return to the big screen? I don't know. Yeah, the mid-range movies. Are, yeah, that mid-range, you know. which was always my playing field. Sure. You know, these sort of adult dramas, and, you know, that used to exist with Fox Searchlight, and and uh fox 2000 and you know that were like 20 to 40 million dollars like pursuit of happiness those movies and um and they've kind of gone away i mean they become smaller and smaller and they become amazon or uh, netflix or mm. so i mean part of me uh, is very thankful for netflix because they 
of course they, they put Big a tool. lot of a lot of eyes on these these kinds of movies that i cherish of course these, this i mean i remember the z channel i don't know how long oh, you've yeah. been around but and actually my cousin john's daughter zan cassavetti's made a whole uh, documentary the z channel yes uh, it's great about, uh, what's his name that programmer and who really also not only would you know show all these classics but he also would give movies a chance that had uh uh, you know, couldn't get theatrical distribution and he premiered him on the Z channel. And I mean, you know, Netflix is, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of things on Netflix and I'm also subscribed to the Criterion collection. And during mm-hmm. this lockout, I mean, I spend a lot of time just revisiting, you know, all these films. And, I mean, yeah. That Criterion collection channel is, uh, I live on that channel. That's great. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's great. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Faden, my friend, you stay safe. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You too. Stay safe and sane and fingers (laughs) crossed for our future.